0: So, first of all, I'd like to offer, extend a very warm welcome to all of you. Welcome to Gaia House. Welcome to this retreat. Well done for getting here. Seems almost miraculous that we could somehow, that it actually worked. (laughs) Some introductions um, for those of you who don't know us. Chris Cullen, my name's Christina, this is Jake Dartington, and Rob Berbea. Um, We'll be with you through this retreat. So tonight we'd very much just like to give something of an introduction, and an arrival to being here, a little bit of an overview of the practice. Um, I know everyone who is here on this retreat, has some background and experience in practice. And I think that is actually something very special on this retreat. (coughs) Needless to say, this is an oral tradition where things got repeated endlessly. So it is good for us all to be reminded of why we're doing what we're doing and what it is that we're doing here In some ways, uh, coming on a formal retreat like this is, is a very kind of sheltered, protected, and very dedicated environment, which is, <clears throat> I think, most of us find in our experience to be tremendously supportive and useful. However, I also think it's very important not to lose sight of the reality that the Buddha did not just teach sitting and walking meditation. That the Buddhist teaching is very much a teaching of how to cultivate an awakened life in which the formal sitting, the formal walking, parts of the practice are deeply, deeply important, but they are one slice of the picture. The Buddha talked about cultivating wakefulness in all things, that wakefulness is really the climate which is most conducive to understanding or to insight. And he really spoke about, you know, that sitting and walking do not have magical powers but as an environment which is conducive to insight that understanding and inner transformation of our hearts is really what brings about the end of suffering and a taste of inner freedom so as we go into this retreat which can feel so different so so different than the rest of our lives it is so important to remember here that what this sitting and walking, standing practice is in the service of. The deep inner receptivity, the inner stillness, the wakefulness, which allows insight to deepen and to grow. But really, from the get-go in this retreat, it also means remembering that your time's off the cushion, off your walking path. Are really as important as the times that you spend in this room or as on a walking path because this is about how we interface with the world. This practice this path is about how we interface with our inner world of emotions, of thoughts, of feelings, of memories and images, but it's equally to do with how teaching us how to be a conscious participant in the world in which we all live, and how we live our lives in that world. There are two words in Pali that I would just like to to touch upon this evening that I think are very critical words to, to remember as we embark upon this retreat. The first of these words in Pali is bhavana. Which means to cultivate or to bring into being. And bhavana really also is an umbrella word that covers the whole of the meditative tradition and path. But the other word, which I think is is equally important, is the word kusala. And kusala translated, uh, sort of translates as noble or ennobling. So as we begin into this, come into this retreat, it's very important that we approach our meditative practice as a dynamic process, as a way of cultivating or actually bringing into being all of the inner qualities of heart and mind that actually bring nobility to our lives. What are we bringing into being? Compassion, kindness, generosity, patience, forgiveness, equanimity, balance, uh, appreciation, generosity. All of the qualities that if we think of them are qualities that truly allow us to live an ennobled life. Now this word kusla is, is very interesting, noble or ennobling. Because I think of it, generally speaking, you know, in English, if we think about nobility <laughs> or noble or ennobling, it can feel like a very big word, does it? it? can feel like a little pretentious, you know, we're just trying to get by here. You know, never mind ennobling. <coughs> and yet this word kusole is very central to this entire teaching. You know, we speak about the four ennobling truths, The Four Noble Truths, the understandings that allow us to live a life of freedom. You know, the fourth of those ennobling truths is the ennobling Eightfold Path, teaching us to live a way of integrity, of greatness of heart, of spaciousness of mind. This is a path that has a direction. And the direction is actually pointing towards that which is ennobling. The qualities that liberate our heart, that bring a taste of freedom to our lives. Now my understanding, you know, one of the things that I most appreciate about this teaching and which I think is the great genius of the Buddha is that the Buddha always, in his teaching, was always speaking in a way which was building upon what we already have had glimpses of in our lives. When we come here and we reflect upon our lives, we reflect upon the countless experiences we've had in our own hearts and minds, I think we would all probably acknowledge that we have glimpsed, no matter how briefly, the landscape of kindness. We all know what compassion feels like, what generosity feels like. We may have all had glimpses of a heart at peace, a moment of stillness, a moment of intimacy. Sometimes in our lives we may even have stumbled across more exceptional moments of spaciousness and vastness and a sense of wonder. Now these glimpses, no matter how brief they are, I think in our lives they touch us deeply because they do give us a taste of the possibility the potentiality of each of our hearts and minds. So when the Buddha taught this path, he was really almost kind of encouraging us to remember those possibilities, not to sort of cling to memories or past experience, but to remember the possibilities, the potential, that each of our hearts and minds can Flourishing. Sometimes I think these glimpses that we've all had in our lives that have touched us deeply, at times they can feel almost like lucky accident. You know, like where did that come from? You know, or how could that be? And, and, you know, moments later we can feel ourselves lost in preoccupation or the, the host of obsessions and worries and fantasies. And they seem Forgotten. What the Buddha taught is that the realization or the maturity of peace, the the maturation of stillness, the deepening of compassion—that these is not something that needs to be left to accident. That this is what we cultivate, this is what we bring into being, and this is what the whole of the path is really dedicated to. I think it's really important to remember that as we begin this retreat because, you know, we can come here and we may think, well, you know, uh, I have, you know, first I have to solve this or fix this or get over this or get this out of the way, you know, and we can be actually in our lives, I think in our psychology, so problem-centered that we think later but you know, this path really is not concerned with later. This path and this teaching is really concerned with now, with what we are cultivating moment to moment, what we are bringing into being moment to moment. And I think as we begin a retreat, it is helpful to remember that Everything we do here is part of a path It has a beginning, it has a middle and it certainly has a direction and the direction of this path is liberation, the liberation of our hearts, the liberation of our minds, the fruition of the understanding and the compassion that is possible for each of us. So I wish you a very fruitful and rich retreat and over the days we will get to meet with you.
1: So just like to add my welcome to everyone here and, and some it's just really lovely looking out and seeing such a full room and so many familiar faces and um Feels like a uh, a beautiful thing uh, to be part of, and a beautiful way to turn the year. So, we're pretty sure we weren't one hundred percent sure. We're pretty sure that everyone's done retreats before. So, a question: What makes retreats precious? What makes this kind of thing, and doing this kind of thing, and putting yourself in an environment like this? What makes that precious? for you you might have certain ideas and, and there's actually obviously more than one thing to me when i reflect on that one of the things that makes uh, this retreat the activity that the time together precious is that a retreat environment a retreat setup is is a, a time that's dedicated a sort of sanctification if you like of a period of time where we're uh, dedicated to our our deepest longings, our deepest aspirations as human beings. This is a time that's just set up to serve that longing and serve those yearnings, Uh, to surrender to them, to nourish them. That's quite rare in the world. It's quite rare not to be pulled in so many disparate directions, to really hone it down, and collect the energy and align the energy with what we most deeply love in life. And so this, this alignment with our, our deep aspiration, that's, that's incredibly precious for us as human beings. Incredibly precious. I would say that in a way our intentionality, our deep intentionality, our, our aspiration, that level of our being is perhaps one of the most profoundly crucial currents in the being. Our life, in a very real sense, how our life is, how it plays out, how our existence plays out, depends very much on our relationship with those deep aspirations. They're so pivotal. So what brings you here? What brings you here? So everyone is here for a reason Wanted to come here There's desire there What's the desire? What brings you here? Right now as I ask Can you ask yourself What brings me here? What am I looking for? What am I longing for? And everyone may have a different way They would articulate that to themselves and to others A different answer perhaps There's something probably common that we have a sense of possibility of some degree of freedom, some degree of peace, some degree of joy even. Healing. Perhaps it's curiosity. Have a sense of the potentials of the human heart, the capacity that we have to open, the possibility to open the heart. And that's like a beacon, and we're we're pulled, we're called by that. Find your own words for this. There's something in there want to know what love is so we come with these desires for ourselves for our life for our existence the dharma has a long tradition of also wanting practice to be for others setting up right from the beginning of practice that yes i long for this for myself but it's also somehow that I'm practicing for others. And there's a long, you know, uh, millennia of, of uh, that, that's placed centrally in the Dharma, that that's part of why we're here, that's part of the longing. So Joanna Macy, a great uh, environmental activist, and she runs workshops and uh, retreats and things. And in, in the beginning, we're too many to do this, but in, in the beginning, there's, there's a sort of uh, opening circle. And people say, why am I here? And then there's a second question. And who, who are you representing? Who else are you representing? Who are you here for? Can it be wider than just me, me and maybe just my family? Can, there's something wider opening in the heart. in that there's there 's a kind of you could call it a secret but it 's not a secret at all because it runs through all all deep and strong spiritual traditions there 's something about opening the the circle of care something profoundly important about that and profoundly powerful about that so that opening of the heart is definitely uh, you could say it's a fruit of practice. In other words, the more we practice, the more we're able, uh, or naturally that circle of care expands. It expands wider and wider and wider and wider. And the life is lived more and more, not just from here and for here. Something happens, that's one, <coughs> one of the fruits of practice, is, is that kind of love. And with that, something happens. Something happens. When this stops being the the center of of the reason for everything, then some joy comes, freedom comes into the being. We're actually being unburdened of the weight of self. The burden of self is is usually slowly being, being unburdened. So... Dharma practice, actually, in the long run, is serving our ability to let go of the prioritizing of self-interest, opening that care wide and seeing and knowing that that brings a, a whole other level of joy and freedom in life. And that runs through the teachings of the Buddha, later Mahayana Buddhism, uh, Shantideva, Jesus, whoever. To me, nowadays, this is enormously significant, enormously significant. I just, two nights ago or something, was reading about a poll that was uh, took place in the UK, Not too, I think it was a couple of years ago. And they were asking people about what they thought about climate change and things like... Uh, what to do about it, etc. And some—I don't remember the percentages. Some percentages agreed that climate change was a hum, humanly uh, caused problem. And then they—they they asked them what should be done. Should should the government, you know, should the government take some action? Yes, a lot of people said yes. Should um, should you know, should we do something? And then the questions went on, uh, and would you be prepared? not to fly somewhere for a holiday so yes 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 i agree and then no and would you be prepared would it be okay if petrol prices went up no etc etc would it be okay if taxes went up no so there's a kind of incongruency there between uh, what we say we care about and what we're actually willing to let go of Somehow, as human beings, we, we prioritize me and my, my comfort, my pleasure, my status, my security, and all that. The price of that is enormous for the planet, uh, for the human species, the future of the human species, and also for other, other species. It's absolutely enormous. And, as all the teachings tell us, that kind of attitude, it won't bring joy and happiness and freedom it just won't it's almost like uh, it, it's an impossible loop until until we learn to uh, break out of the self-interest we're just headed for more and more suffering So we could say that the, you know, the earth and the human species and, and other species, we really need some massive, massive revolution. <coughs> Something needs to change in the way that human beings relate to each other, relate to themselves, relate to existence, relate to the planet. And to me, that's a big part of what we're doing here. We really need that change to happen. And in a way, this, is the, uh, this could be the source of that. Right here. And it's so easy, unfortunately, it's so easy, it's actually normal uh, for human beings to have an aspiration for wide care. And then it shrinks. It shrinks so easily. So even one might have that in relationship to practice, and very easily it shrinks again. Very easily. Every day it will shrink. And that can happen uh, in relationship to the Dharma, in relationship to inner work, in psychotherapy, and whatever it is. It will shrink, it will shrink. And so all of us need to ask, is, is that happening? Is that happening? Is that happening to me? We all need to ask it, why am I doing this? Sometimes it's too much, to, it's too, it doesn't land in a good place to say the planet needs it, we need it, it's our responsibility, we have to change something. It's hard for people to hear that somehow. And then maybe that's where the wisdom comes in and we know this is where the happiness is. This is where the happiness is. And if I keep hanging on to the self-interest, I won't be going towards happiness. Or at least it will always be constrained, that movement towards happiness. Always be constrained. And I think actually we long something in us deep down. If we really pursue this question, what do I want? What am I doing here? What am I wanting? If I keep pursuing that inside, it may not be obvious or it may be obvious, but I will get to a place where I long for the heart to open wide in care. I long for that. We long for it. We actually really want that. It's not a burden. It's the opposite. It's an unburdening. So there's some secret of ease, secret of freedom, secret of happiness and joy in this unburdening, in this widening out of the spheres of care. So I wonder what it would be. That is a fruit of practice. No question, it's a fruit of practice. It should be a fruit of practice. If it's not, then something's not quite working. But what would it be to also place it at the beginning, not wait for it to be at the end? What would it be for this retreat, even every sitting or every walking, to have that, to, that uh, asking or opening, seeing if it's possible for that attitude to be there? So you come into the hall and you see a room full of people that I could be supporting through sitting or through walking. Just something opening up in the attitude, that every perhaps sitting and walking is an act of generosity for myself, for everyone here, there's something so unburdening in that and so beautiful. You set the intention differently. It's not just for me. And you feel that connection and care. And you feel the lightness that comes in. And if I think, if I slip into the normal, it's just about me, my practice, my process, my healing, my this, my that, very easily practice can become, feel burdened. Tight. There, there's, we're squeezing the joy out of it. It's a kind of paradox. So, what would it be that, that the whole retreat, you have a sense of everyone here and giving through your practice, giving through our practice, giving through practicing to everyone here? And every time one comes in the hall, it's a statement of generosity. And not even just to people here. Whereas Joanna Mace would ask, who else are you here for? Who else am I here for? really even throwing throwing open, open the gates of care and see what that does to the practice and actually to the life too. So the whole practice is a movement of kindness, a movement of generosity, yes to ourselves and it's important, really important to have that established because very easily also practice for ourselves can become something we kind of push ourselves <laughs> with or beat ourselves up with or force ourselves or criticise. So the beginning of a sitting, at the beginning of a day, at the beginning of a walking, it's about kindness to myself and it's about a much wider kindness as well. As Rumi would say, there's an open secret in that. There's an open secret. Mm-hmm. Invitation to really bring that attitude of generosity and kindness in, into the very fabric of, of the days here. So I wish you a really lovely retreat and fruitful retreat, and we'll uh, see you soon.
2: So, as we've been saying uh, this evening, we're framing the retreats what we're saying this evening really is going to permeate the the sitting practice the walking practice to inform all of the things that we'll be doing while we're here and uh, to me already there's a very strong sense of uh, an ethical sensibility really running through what we're about a sense of kindness and compassion to ourselves a sense of kindness and compassion to others and exploring the wisdom that sees how interconnected those things are. And uh, Christina was talking about the beginning, uh, the middle and the direction of practice and that's certainly very true for this sense of ethics as well. It seems to me there's, uh, again, as uh, I think mean Rob was touching upon, there's something ethical that brings us here in the first place. We're looking for a place of uh, some peace in our life, some joy, some happiness. And we've tried all kinds of things, and uh, some of them haven't delivered what they promised. And uh, so then we come to a place like this. And for some of us, that might be uh, an intuition that there's something here. Uh, for others, a, a really deep and profound. Trust that there's something here um, that leads to peace and well-being. So traditionally, the uh, the teaching of the five precepts is very helpful in uh, giving a sense of what this integrity is about. Uh, so that begins with uh, the precept of harmlessness, refraining from <coughs> harming living beings. And uh Practicing in a place like this with this number of people gives us so many opportunities to do that. You know, as we're queuing for breakfast and other meals, as we're perhaps bumping into each other at times in our work period. You know, how to let that spirit of harmlessness really flow through how we are in those encounters and how we share this space with each other. The precept of not taking what is not given. So again this creates a sense of safety here. A lovely, beautiful thing that we can all come here and create a community, create a temporary community for these days. And knowing that we can tr- trust that you know our things will be okay, that we don't have to lock everything away and check all our possessions. And again. <sighs> You know, there's a kind of unburdening there a letting go and a sense of safety that comes from that trust and these precepts really are very linked with the what we may call the inner work going on here so in committing ourselves to harmlessness we're beginning to question that tendency to push things away to get rid of things and in our commitment to not taking what is not given again questioning and beginning to undermine the idea that we need to grab and grasp and pull towards us uh, things and experiences in order to create some security Uh, the third precept is to refrain from sexual misconduct and uh, in the context of a retreat that means to refrain from any intentional sexual activity I think one of the the themes of retreat for me is the way that the discipline of the form offers a new kind of freedom so this this is not a practice that's kind of anti-sexuality or anything like that but just saying what is that freedom that's there when we're giving up the tendency to look outside of ourselves to someone else or something else or some special heightened pleasurable experience to make me feel okay. And beginning to feel uh, that contentment that can be there when you know the feeling that just this is enough. And just sitting in this room is enough. And... Some of the incessant looking and grasping and wondering after this and that can begin to quieten down. The fourth precept is to refrain from false speech. And uh, you might think that's easy, being silent. <laughs> um, but I always say, with this one, I mean, the, the thoughts that come into our minds. There, all kinds of weird and wonderful things that uh, pop into our heads, and uh, I suspect, that, you know, as people who've been here before, you know this. But it really is very normal to have all kinds of things come into come into your mind, but not feeling that we need to believe them is uh, is a real liberation. You know, it's thoughts come and go, but that commitment to truthfulness is about just knowing them as thoughts and uh, allowing them to pass. And finally, the precept of refraining from uh, alcohol and drugs that cloud the mind. And we're here, to, we're here to see clearly. We're here to look deeply into our hearts, deeply into our minds. And we're here to be dedicated to a clarity, a clarity of seeing that leads to liberation. And so, things that obstruct that clarity, obviously, uh, you know, uh, are going to be harmful on the retreat. Of course, if you if you take any uh, prescription medication, that's quite different, and, and please continue to take that. So these precepts really, again, make more specific this intention to practice with kindness and compassion to ourselves and others and uh, help to frame the retreat.
3: There's something about coming on retreat that, that feels a bit like a, a movement from from prose into poetry, from, from a way of living our lives where we're oriented to tasks and to a very sort of functional way of being, where we're in doing mode, often doing many things at once, to a way of being which... Uh, comes about through stopping through slowing through doing one thing at a time and through savouring savouring really appreciating the the quality of this moment there's a, there's a connection with the heart that we can um, deepen and strengthen and sustain in retreat in a way that uh, often isn't so possible in daily life. We get a chance to perhaps to, to sense the preciousness of our life and of life itself and uh, have some sense of its, its its possibilities and its depth and so as we um, settle in this evening um, we'd really invite you just to slow down you know you may you may be able to feel your nerve ending still twitching from the journey here and all the the busyness of the day and and really just giving yourself permission to settle into this space into this safe peaceful space and just to do one thing at a time give yourself that gift and of course the the, the body and the breath are, are great support in that you know, even just as you sit here now, just sensing, well, what happens if I really open into the sense of the body sitting here breathing in a deeper way? If I allow that to be enough, allow the the simplicity of that to nourish me. And a, a, a really key part of this simplifying this steadying this settling this unifying is also the silence you know and just really allowing ourselves to appreciate that to, to turn to that to drink from that over these days that we're here and to turn down the volume on the the verbal aspect of our experience that that can be so preoccupying and practice dropping into a deeper level of being. And we do that in, in our sitting again and again, coming back to the body, to the breath, to the heart. And we can support that also through... Um, the sort of simple practical business of turning off our mobile phone, giving ourselves a break from phoning, texting, the whole preoccupation with that verbal communication, so we 'd really invite you, possibly stronger than invite you to to uh, to switch off your phone, give yourself a break if if anybody finds it that just too difficult then do hand it in at reception, they'll look after it for you till Sunday. Uh, but really just to resist that temptation to to check the phone or to text. And similarly also sometimes when we do that, people you know the mind see, we're so used to orienting to words that we seek out other bits of text, whether it's on the, the notice boards or the tea packets or wherever it is, and just you know, we have to be reading. Fire extinguishers, people have reported, reading on retreats just really an invitation, just if you notice that sort of compulsive need to read, just see what it's like in that moment to stop and to come back to your body and to breathe and let that be enough savor that and uh, pretty much everyone's familiar with the uh, the way in which Gaia House works but if you do need to communicate please, obviously you know, there may be communication during your work period that is, is important and functional but any other communication please just by notes to uh, us as teachers or to one of the coordinators we ask you please not to communicate with each other by notes if you have any concerns about anyone on the retreat please just just send a note to us or to one of the coordinators So here we are in in the the stillness the the silence the depth of midwinter We have the the precious opportunity of these days just to hunker down and really make the most of this time to to soak our our bodies and our hearts in a, in a warm and kindly awareness so we really invite you just to reflect on any hints or pointers from from we've shared this evening that just can help support you to make the most of this time. And uh, we really wish you a very nourishing and a really fruitful few days here.
0: So let's just take a few moments to Quite consciously, quite intentionally, bring your mind into your body. Be mindful of how you're sitting. Be mindful of your body touching the ground and the chair, the cushion. let in your back be upright as much as you're able to find in your body a posture of alertness balance but also a very deep sense of ease and relaxation. Feeling yourself arriving, being here, aware of the quietude around you, And within yourself, bringing forward the intention of calming the body, calming the mind. Letting the thoughts, the images, just sit in the background of your attention. And bringing into the foreground of your attention just a mindfulness moment to moment of your body breathing. Breathing in, calming the body. Breathing out calming the body. Breathing in calming the mind. Breathing out calming the mind. Breathing in brightening the mind. Breathing out right in the main of the first uh, instructions or encouragements that the Buddha used to offer when people began to practice, he would say to, to disentangle from the world and to establish oneself in mindfulness and in solitude. And this evening, I'd really encourage you to do whatever is needed to disentangle from the world. Clearly, that doesn't mean to push life away, but if you have unfinished business, if you need to put a message on your mobile that says you are temporarily unavailable, please do so. Um, So then you can maybe just really turn it off. Uh, Anything you need to do, anything you need to finish up, if you could please try and do whatever is possible this evening. Um, Solitude, I know, sounds a little strange when we're together with 60 other people, but solitude has more to do with what we're doing with our minds um, than being in a cave. Uh, so you know doing whatever is necessary (coughs) should you require them and I always want to say this at the beginning of retreats now I believe there are earplugs in the cupboard by the downstairs bathroom near the front door (coughs) I hope you rest well Um, we'll begin in the morning